All right. Well, Pastor Scott and Yvette are enjoying a little R&R off in Mexico. Good for them. They're blessed to do that. And that means I get a chance to preach again today, which I also enjoy. So, I'm going to talk this morning about having a prosperous soul. And i got to ask Pastor Scott about the spilled coffee cup. I, I'm, I, I don't know what that has to do with a prosperous soul, but he thought it did. So when he's back, you can say, hey, Pastor Scott, what's with the spilled coffee? I don't spill my coffee. You know, Veronica needs praying to get all active. I just need caffeine to get all active. So that's that's how it works for me. Anyway, I want to talk to you about a prosperous soul. And what does that exactly mean? Well, let's go over to 3 John and uh, chapter 1 and verse 2. And in 3 John 1, 2, we see this. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, you know, that's one of those verses that actually, if you stop and think about it for a few minutes, that's a key that unlocks some stuff. Um, you know, it used to be, and it's kind of died down now, which is nice, but it used to be you couldn't even say the word prosperity in church because you'd get half the people, you know, all excited and the other half of the people would head for the door. Uh, it just got so out of control sort of through the 80s and the early 90s and this whole prosperity message and the idea that become a Christian and you can be rich because God will give you all the money, you know. And... I think sometimes, you know, the, the intent was good, but the, the message was a little screwy. And I wonder sometimes if this isn't one of the keys that they forgot. I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, that word prosper, uh, really, it, it is talking about being prosperous or being successful, but it also has the idea in it of being on the right track. <clears throat> on the right path. So I pray that you would prosper, that you'd be successful, that you'd be prosperous, and that you'd be on the right track, and that you'd be in health. And, and that is literally referring to physical health. That's talking about, uh, you know, being in sound, healthy mind and body. And then he says, even as your soul prospers. Now your soul um, we are a three-part being, at least that's how I understand it. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And what that means is that the body is that thing that looks back at us in the mirror every day that some of us are not particularly thrilled with as it doesn't have quite the shape we were hoping for. Um, some of us are, are a little happier with that than others, but that's the body. The good news is we get a new one of those when we get to heaven. And, and you know, so, and who knows what that one's going to be like, but I have a hunch we'll be content with it. Um, then we have our, our soul, which is our mind, our emotions, uh, a lot of our personality comes out of our soul, uh, and um, it includes uh, some of your reactions and your thinking. That's your soul, is that kind of that part of me that makes me me, that sets me apart as being unique. That's, that's part of our soul. And then we have a spirit. And our spirit is that part of us that actually brings life to us. Um, 
I'm looking at the clock, and I think you have time to tell a little story. Uh, when I was doing my my doctorate, um, and then shortly afterwards, we did some some extra studies in a in a an area called neurofeedback, which has to do with um, training the brain to think in certain ways. Very helpful with kids with ADHD. Um, and as a part of that, I want to tell you this really interesting story. So uh, we had a Swiss neurologist speak to the class. And this guy, this guy was, was smart on a level I've just now, I mean, like, I just, I, I can't even hold a candle to this guy's brain power. He was just amazingly insightful and knowledgeable. But there was something really interesting about what he said. As a part of a lecture, and I'm not going to get into it because I didn't even totally understand it, but he was talking about how they can actually literally map out the way that the brain forms a neural network brings together the right pieces of the of the brain, processes a problem, comes up with an answer, then sort of disbands the network and reforms it into a new shape to solve the next part of the problem. And he was talking about all that. It was fascinating. And then he said something really interesting. Now, the man was an agnostic, okay? He was not a believer. He said something really interesting. He said, the only thing we can't figure out is what tells it to form and when and how. And he was stumped by that. And he said, and as a matter of fact, what's really got me bothered is that I can't find it in the brain. Now, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you're bumping up against the spirit. That's what you're doing. I've got this spirit in me that gives me life, and it's the life in me that's flowing out and causing my body to begin to function in certain ways. So we we see ourselves as a tripartite being, three parts, spirit, soul, and body. So when Paul says here, or John, I'm sorry, says, I pray you would prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. He's talking about that part of us that is our our emotions, our thinking, our ability to, to respond and react in appropriate ways, our ability to rejoice in times of difficulty, our ability to be patient and persevere in in, in times of trouble. That That's that part of us. And he says, well, be uh, going to be in health physically and we're going to be prospering staying successful healthy and strong only if our souls are prospering so in other words if our souls are successful and on the right track then the rest of our life kind of comes into order now for the theologians in the room, we always need three uh, good proofs for that. So I want to just bounce back to the Old Testament and look at Psalm 23 for a minute. And in Psalm 23, verse 3, it says, He restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, Hebrew poetry, you gotta, you, you just got to understand this for a minute. So I'm just going to just... Chase this for a sec. Hebrew poetry is not like English poetry. So in English poetry, you know, it's all about meter and rhyme. Okay? Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. Okay? We, we sort of, we, we have this way that it all kind of lines up and then it rhymes at the end and that's poetry. Okay, now in Hebrew it didn't work that way at all. They didn't really care if it fit together or rhymed or anything, but what they did was they took two thoughts and tag them one to another to expand something. Now, sometimes the first thought would lay out an idea, and the second would lay out the opposite. Sometimes the first idea would lay out an idea, and the second one would kind of embellish it. 
Okay, so think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? Shepherds look after making sure that sheep are fed and looked after. A sheep doesn't need anything if the shepherd's around. Right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me in the path, or sorry, am I... Yeah, there we go. By still waters. And, and again, it, it, it combines the two thoughts. Okay? And so this is the next verse, and it says, He restores my soul, and He leads me in paths of righteousness. So that's interesting, because we've already, we've already discovered that there's a connection between our soul and walking in right paths. And so here it is again. There's this connection between my soul, that inner part of me, that, that, that God has to guide into a right pathway in order for my life to become prosperous and successful. So when God restores our soul, he guides us on a track that avoids evil, avoids harm, and avoids danger. So we have John saying you'll prosper and be in health when your soul is on the right track. And we have Psalm 23 saying that God wants to lead you on the right track. There's, there's a similar idea in John 10, 10, and I don't, don't have it on the, on the, the screen there, but you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. There's really the same kind of flow there and the same idea there. Uh, and then, uh, let's look back at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And so the last time I was, I was teaching, I, I, you know, we spent a little bit of time in Romans 12. And we looked at how it's, when it says that you, you, you need to, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that the whole idea of that was the metamorphosis process. This is where God changes how we think to the place where we literally, you, you literally could not recognize pre-Christian Ron from post-Christian Ron because the thinking is so completely different. It's like I have a whole new mind. That's the idea here. And so, uh, you know, your soul includes your mind. And if you actually dig into the Greek here, which, which I've done, that includes your thinking, your intellect, and your feelings when it says renewing of your mind. So that is really talking about the same soul as John is talking about and as David was talking about. It's, it's the same thing. So let me ask you something. If you're in a place of fully doing God's will, are you going to be healthy? Some people say yes. Some people say, mm, I'm not so sure. So are you going to be healthy in your Overall life. Yes, you are. There's going to be a place of health in my life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I won't have to fight off a, a sniffle or a cold, but it does mean that God is walking with me through all of that and making sure that my life is well, right? It's that old hymn, it is well with my soul. There's something about walking with God that just makes it well with me. Whatever is going on, I know I'm going to be in a place where God is looking after me. And, you know, does God want us to prosper? Well, again, does God want us all to be rich? Well, that's not what prosper means. Prosper means we have this wholeness and this wellness to our lives. Okay? So, in fact, let's just kind of chase that for a minute and establish a couple of little definitions. 
I want to suggest to you, and, and we're, I want to just poke at a definition of prosperity, but I want to just, if poverty was the opposite of prosperity, then I would suggest to you that a great definition for poverty is the fear that what you have will not be enough to meet your needs. There's a definition for poverty. It's really about fear. It's the fear that what you have will not be enough. Now, here's the crazy part. Many of you have heard this quote, but I want to just set the context. When, when Rockefeller owned personally, in his own personal net worth, slightly more than 1% of the entire net worth of the USA, someone asked him, how much is enough? And his answer was, I don't know but it's a little bit more. Now, I call that poverty. Because I don't care how rich you are, if you're afraid that what you have isn't quite enough, I call that poverty. See, it doesn't have anything to do with how much my bank account says I have. It has to do with how much my heart's got in it. Okay? So, there's people who have millions, but they live under a poverty mindset. Because they're afraid that what they have won't be enough. Now, prosperity is kind of the opposite, but it's much broader. So prosperity is believing that all of my needs are met, and then actually experiencing and walking in the physical reality of that belief. Okay, and it's not related to a dollar amount. It's not related to a standard of living. It's not related to the make of car you drive. Here's the other guy that I love looking at. And many of you, again, some of you young guys, you won't have heard about this guy. Go and, go and track down a book called Movers of Mountain and Men, Mountains and Men. Most amazing book to read. Blow your mind. R.G. Letourneau. He's the guy that created all of that massive earth moving equipment. He, he was the guy that first thought all of these massive machines up. He, he created a machine that they could fly in and drop out of a bomber into a jungle and several hours later have an airstrip. And all he did was just two passes of that machine up and down the, 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 the jungle and he'd have an airstrip ready for some airplanes to land on. The guy was amazing. One of his crazy things was he said, I love going to church. I get all my good ideas in church. He'd take his team of engineers and they'd go sit in church. And they'd get somebody to sing and somebody to play and they'd worship God for a little while. And then he'd say, I know how to do it. I got it. Now, you want to talk about prosperity? The man lived on 10% and gave 90. And he lived well. He had lots. See, that's a very different mindset. Now, here's the key. If you're only going to prosper if your soul is prospering, then there's no point trying to prosper in any area of life until you first know if your soul is prospering. Can, can, you, can you see that? Right? I, I mean, if my soul is not prospering, forget it. I, I didn't meet the first criteria. So we need to have this prosperous soul. So here's what I want to get to today. I want to give you seven things, seven thoughts, seven ways you can know if your soul is prospering. Seven ways. Number one, do you think of yourself more highly than you should? Now, careful. This doesn't say, do you think highly of yourself? It says, do you think 
more highly than you should. I want you to know this is not poking at a question of healthy self-worth. This is poking at arrogance and pride. Do you think of yourself as more than you really should? See, the real question here is, how do you think of others? When you look around, do you look at other people and, and see people on a scale? Well, I'm better than him, but I'm not as good as him. That guy's worse than me, but I'm worse than that guy. Do you see people on a scale or... Do you realize that everyone has equal value in God's eyes? When when you look at other people, do you recognize that everyone has equal value in God's eyes? You know, let let me just, I'll just go there this morning. You know, some of us like to think that, well, okay, all Christians have equal value in God's eyes, but non-Christians, they're kind of losers. Can I remind you that Jesus came to die for you before you were a Christian? Not after. He moved first. He loved first. And we love him because he loved us. We've all got equal value. And beware of what I love to call reverse pride. I like to call it pride that's just wearing a different shirt. Okay? How many remember my definition of pride from from last year? Okay, pride is disagreeing with God. Okay, I've never, I've never had anybody give me a better definition than that. Pride is disagreeing with God. God says it's like this, and I say, well, I beg to differ. I think it's like this. I mean, to me, I I don't know a better definition of pride. Okay, well, if that's the best definition of pride, then the best definition of humility is agreeing with God. So if God says, You're awesome. You were so worth it to me that I sent my son to die for you. You have an amazing destiny, an amazing future, and you have an amazing place in God's body. And you say, oh, I'm nothing. I'm just, I I just, I'm just little me. I just do my part. Is that humility or is that pride? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that gives everybody something to think about for the whole day. You got your money's worth already today, didn't you? See, if you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to love yourself. And there comes this place where I've got to agree with God in terms of my value and who I am. But I've got to keep it in a place where I also agree with God about everyone else's value. I loved how my friend Pastor Leon Fontaine said at one time, he said, you can think as highly of yourself as you like as long as you do two things. Think of everyone else as even more important than you and give God the glory for all the good stuff you've done. I thought that was pretty good, actually. Being a Christian isn't wandering around thinking of yourself as lowered in a snake's belly in a wagon rut, as Kenneth Copeland used to say. Some of you will remember who he is. Number two, do you know how you fit into the church? Do you know what your gifts are? And do you have a good sense of what God has called you to? You might want to pull your toes in just a little bit. 
Do you regularly get upset with the pastor and decide that it's time to change churches, or do you have the stick to it to hang in there and grow? Are you functioning in your gifts in the church? You you might have a good sense of what God has called you to, but are you doing it? And that's always a sticky one because somebody says, well, I just really believe that God has called me to, uh, you know, to be the associate pastor. Well, that position's already filled. And I'm not planning on going anywhere. (laughs) And, well, yeah, but I believe that's what God's called me to. Yeah, but the question is, are you doing the work of that ministry and that calling on your life? Are Are you living as though God's life is flowing through you in that call? And contributing to the church in a way that makes the church eventually say, I don't know why we don't just put him on staff, because, I mean, he's doing everything anyway. You know, I've, I've, I've got a, a situation at work right now where I'm working with an individual who's, who's got a, a, a bit of a challenge. They're sort of like, they have this idea that, well, I did a test, and the test said I had leadership qualities, and I don't understand why you guys won't let me be a leader. Well, um, I, I sat there for a little while thinking, how am I going to answer this? And then the Holy Spirit dropped something in my heart. I said to them, okay, I'll tell you what. If I decide to stop leading, what does that look like? Because you know I can't. All I have to do is walk down the hall and people... I I walk down Safeway and people ask me where stuff is. <laughs> like, it's the truth. I, I just, I'm just looking for milk, you know, and somebody says, excuse me, sir, would you know where I find... It's like... Uh, uh, I think it's in aisle 13. Like, I, I just give up. It's because there's a call on my life and I'm willing to just live it out. And you know what? God's got a call on every one of your lives. Do you know what it is? Do you know where you fit into the church? Because your soul can't prosper until you know what that call is and you're doing it. Just coming and sitting there isn't it. There's a call on every one of us to be involved in the body of Christ. You know, it's really interesting. Abby and Daniel in Thailand, and we're going to be heading out there in about a week and a half, God willing, um, and coronavirus permitting um well uh, god god willing period the end uh i don't i'm not afraid of the coronavirus we'll figure that out when we get there but you know they're involved with an organization there now and that organization has the neatest term for all their volunteers anybody who's a volunteer in any capacity they call them carriers now when i first heard that i thought well that's weird But the more I've thought about it, the more it's growing on me. And I'm thinking, you know, I like that. Because we're all carriers of the love of God to people who haven't heard it before. And whatever you're doing, however you're helping, however you're connected, however you're participating, you're a carrier of God's love to people who need to hear it. I thought that was good. All right. Fitting into the body and contributing where your gifts are lead you is a good indicator of a prospering soul. Number three, how do you handle temptation? 
You know, in that same chapter in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, uh, abhor or be disgusted by what is evil and cling to what is good. As I was prepping, it was like, I just, how many were paying attention to the lottery last week when it was $70 million, right? And the Holy Spirit poked me and said, because I wrote this, do you find yourself wishing that you could do something just once? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you were pretty tempted to go buy a lottery ticket. I'm thinking, yeah, I was actually. Now, I didn't give in to it because my math skills are good enough to know that there's just no point. But do you find yourself wishing that you could do something just once? And I'll let you fill in your own something. Just just once. Just to try it. Do you have a hard time getting away from temptation? Or have you started to feel in your own heart that same sense of, of, of um, woundedness that God feels when he looks at sin? When, when, he, when he sees the pain and the hurts and the disappointments and the broken lives? See, how you handle temptation tells us a lot about whether or not your soul is prospering. And if your soul is prospering, you're going to find that things that used to be a temptation for you just get easier and easier to resist. Number four, can you be kind to someone who gets promoted faster than you do? See, Paul put it this way in verse 10 of Romans 12. He said, in honor, giving preference to one another. So when somebody comes along, maybe they've only been in the church for a couple of months, and suddenly they're leading a ministry area that you were kind of thinking maybe you might like to lead. Can you go and be a helper? Can you go and work with them? How do you how do you handle that? You know, what about when suddenly somebody seems to become Pastor Scott's friend, even though you've been here much longer and you probably put more in the offering than they do, bless God. Can you handle that? You know, or or somebody's only been here for a couple of weeks and then they're out with Pete and Colleen and then they're out with Brian and Ingrid and then they're out with, with Ron and Linda and then they're going out and they're, they're at the mirror's house and they're kind of connecting with people and you're thinking, what am I, chopped liver? Like, I've been here for four years. Pastor never invited me to his house. What, what happens to your heart when somebody seems to be getting promoted more quickly than you. You know, when your soul is prospering, it becomes easier to rejoice with those who are being blessed instead of being jealous of those who are growing. And when your soul is prospering, the real test is you learn to put the success of the kingdom of God ahead of your own success. All right, number five, are you diligent? Can you be counted on? Do you have as much enthusiasm for the end of the job as you did for the beginning of it? You know, it's easy to get excited when things are fresh and new, but what about when they just start to be plain old hard work? You know, the community dinner. What a great idea. It's awesome. We're going to do all this and that. And then it's like, oh, somebody has to clean up all those tables and do all those dishes and clean. Oh. 
What what happens when it's hard work? You know, what about the worship team? It's amazing to me how many people say, wow, I wish I could play guitar like Mike. I wish I could play drums like Josh. I wish I could play keyboard like Damien. Well, you could, for the most part. All you'd have to do is put in as many hours of practice and and learning and years of lessons and and getting thrown in over your head and 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 right out of your comfort zone and having to just do it. That's all you'd have to do. See, are you diligent in the things you're called to? And we're not all called to that, okay? I, I get that. But you know, here's one for you. And, and you knew I was going to get marriage worked in there somewhere, somehow, right? What about your marriage? Well, what about when your marriage just gets to be just plain old hard work? Anybody ever been there in married couples? You ever been there in your marriage? Right? It just gets to be plain old hard work sometimes. And it's just like, really? We have to do this again? Can you be diligent? See, if your soul is prospering, then what happens is it's easy to be diligent because someone who has a prosperous soul doesn't get their sense of being successful from the outside world, from what's going on around them. They get it from inside. They get it from a sense of who they are in Christ. Number six, are you joyful even when things are tough? You know, later in this chapter, Paul says, rejoicing in hope and patient in tribulation. Now, you know, rejoicing in hope. What? Sounds fine. Well, except that when you're hoping, it's because you don't have something. So can you rejoice in hope? You know, I find it really easy to whine in hope. Well, I really hope I get it. It's been a long time. One of these days, maybe. Can you rejoice in hope? Rejoicing in hope. It's easy to be joyful when things are going well, but what about when you have to be patient? And what about when you have to be patient in tribulation? Can you rejoice in those situations? You know, when life is going well, it's easy to see God's hand on your life. But what about when stuff is pressing in on you? What about when stuff is going wrong? What about when you just really rather it didn't go like that? Right, Josh? <laughs> I got a phone call last night about 5.30, and he was having car troubles on his way home from Calgary from being at, at, at my son-in-law's grandpa's funeral. And a couple of boys went down, and on their way back, all of a sudden, Josh's car starts acting up. Like... It's like, God, why now? Have you ever had car trouble like that? Like, I've had car trouble like that. It's like, God, not here, not now. Like, wow, in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's all gonna be fine. We, we got his car home and everything. Well, most of the way home. We'll figure it out today, but. <laughs> but you know, if you have a prosperous soul, you find that it's easier to stay in peace in those situations. It's like, okay, this junk happening, so what? God's still God. Jesus still loves me. I still got a home in heaven. I don't care. I'm going to keep a smile on my face and just keep working through stuff. And if junk comes my way, well, so what for the junk? 
Who cares? I'm just going to keep my eyes on Jesus and keep going. And Veronica likes to quote the line from the Finding Dory movie. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. (laughs) Just keep swimming. A friend of mine used to say, if you're going through hell, don't stop. Number seven, how's your prayer life? You know, literally, Paul's statement in verse 12, where he says, continuing steadfastly in prayer, could be translated as unwavering in your commitment to pray and ready to do so at a moment's notice. Does that describe you? Yeah, I'm going to say it. Pastor, you, you can phone Pastor Scott if this makes you mad. Um, you know, in most churches, if you call a prayer meeting, people stay away in droves. The quickest way to make sure nobody comes is just call for a prayer meeting. People are like, I ain't going to that. Well, why not? Now, this church is a little different. When we have prayer, I know there's probably 20%, 25% of the people that will come. So that's amazing. But I got to tell you, folks, it's not that tough. It gets published in the, in the, in the calendar. I think the next week of prayer is coming up at the end of April. I think the last week of April, first week of May, somewhere in there. Pay attention. Start now. Clear your, clear your calendar up. Come for a couple of nights. If you can't make all six nights, okay, fine. We, we understand. People's lives are what they are. But you got some warning. Clear some time up and come. What's your personal commitment to prayer? And here's a practical way of explaining it. You know when you're going on through your day, and all of a sudden, boink, somebody's name just pops into your head. You just suddenly remember somebody. Do you think, huh, well, that's odd. And then just keep going on doing your work. Or do you recognize that as a call to pray? It's a call to prayer. How's your prayer life? Are you spending time in personal prayer and personal devotions? Have you learned to enjoy those times of prayer and reading your Bible? Is it just words? Or has it started to become food for you? Okay. If you have a prosperous soul, you look forward to times where you can focus on God and read your Bible and pray. I'm going to invite the whole team to come up on the stage as we finish. Seven ways to know that your soul is prospering. Do you think of yourself more highly than you should? Do you know how and where you fit into the church? How do you handle temptation? Are you happy and excited when somebody gets promoted faster than you do? Are you diligent? Are you joyful when things are tough? And how's your prayer life? Now, next week, I'm going to build on that. I'm going to talk to you about five principles to get God's blessing going in your life. You know, there's things that we can do to actually get ourselves into a place where God's blessing is flowing in our lives. That There's there's five things. I'm not going to preach it now because I'm out of time. But come next week. We're going to build off of this week. Talk to you about how to get to that place where you actually start to see God's blessing start to increase in your life. Now, there is one more thing that I want to say, and it's probably the most important thing of all. 
And that is you can't have the foundation for God's blessing in your life if you've never asked God to get involved with you. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you for your sins and to make you a child of God, then then really you can never have a prosperous soul. And maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're listening on the web and you've never given your heart to Jesus. And, and you'd like to have an opportunity to do that. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And again, whether you're here or whether you're listening to a podcast, if you just take a moment right now to just ask God, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a minute, that asks God to get involved with your life. It just says, God, I want you to come into my life and and make my soul begin to prosper. And if that's you, would you do something for me here? Would you just look my way? I want everybody to, to, to close their eyes, bow their heads just for a moment. But if, if you want to respond, would you just look my way and just, just wave a hand at me or catch my attention? I'd, I'd like to pray for you this morning. I'd like to ask everybody to just pray this prayer after me because even even if you didn't raise your hand or if you're listening on a podcast, it's just very simple. It just goes like this. Heavenly Father, this morning I want to give my heart to you. I want to choose to live my life your way. I want to ask you today to come into my life And to forgive me for the wrong things I've done. And to help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and you're here, would you just come and you can talk to me, you can talk to one of the ushers, you can talk to someone on the worship team. I'd just like to just encourage you. If you're if you're listening on the web, you can find our address there. You can send the church an email. We'd be happy to just encourage you and uh, give you uh, some pointers on how to how to find a good church and get uh, into a place where you can grow as a Christian. As we close, I'm just going to invite us to just stand together and just sing that new song one more time. So it's just it's really a, a song of our testimony in Christ. Let's uh, let's worship together this morning.